is up, rugby fans? It's Scott here at the Safa Pod. Would you believe that we're already on episode five? And a little later on, we'll play you an interview from last week when we caught up with England International and Bulls Lock Charlie Yules. Before then, though, I'd like to welcome in my good friend, uh, not in his usual location of recording, but recording nonetheless, Keegan Hall. Steaks, how are you, mate? Mate. I'm good. I got my <laughs> my glass of Sauvignon Blanc. I'm keeping it classy these days. Not too bad. Had a great weekend at the game, which was absolutely insane. Booze free because I had work afterwards. Nice. And then I even went out afterwards, but designated driver. So I would say you can call me sober, but I got a glass of wine with me now. So halfway there. Yeah, I don't I don't think we can quite do that. But Keegan, that doesn't that doesn't look like the glasses from your house can you can you give us a, a bit of insight as to where you're recording from this this weekend you know what um interesting one so i met these uh two really really good friends who are, who are possibly listening in on the podcast right now <laughs> and we had an amazing day on the sunday to simon's town it was awesome and then we spontaneously chose to go to the Kruger National Park this weekend. So unfortunately, I will be missing the semifinals. But you know what? We all hold the Kruger Park close to our hearts in South Africa. And this is, if I'm not mistaken, a South African rugby podcast. And it's the first time I'm going. So I'm going to the Kruger National Park. I'm sorry, Stormers, but I will be watching from Limpopo. Nice. <laughs> Well, you better better make sure you, you either watch or, or catch at least some of the highlights. Now, you've mentioned results there. Weekend's results from, from the Curry Cup, pretty much to be expected, maybe bar one game. Griquas beat the Lions 25 to 21. Griquas had to had to work hard for it. I managed to catch this game. Lions were good, but maybe, maybe discipline letting them down in, in, in little bits and and certainly the breakdown, a bit of a mess. I think that the, the Grick was showed a lot of grit to win at the end, especially given the fact that it went three minutes into overtime and, and the lines were on their line. Not sure if you managed to, to catch any of the game, Steaks. Yeah, honestly, exactly like you said, absolute gutsy performance by the Grick was. Um, like you say, Lions, not necessarily too great, but knocking on the door every chance they got, especially with uh, obviously the discipline towards the end, Grick was slotting over two penalties to take the game. But even that try-saving tackle, which I think it was Speckman, I could be mistaken, but I think it was him, absolutely insane try-saving tackle. And then to hold on in the end was an incredible performance from the Grick was, I think. Honestly, I thought I, I I nailed a lot of the predictions, but going through the results today, I, I definitely did not nail a lot of the predictions. <laughs> One prediction you definitely did get right was that the Pumas Griffins game. Now we're not Griffins haters. We need to just re restate that once again. Griffins had an impressive last twenty five minutes, but as we've said before, they they always seem to to play well when they're a number of points down, and probably when the other other team thinks they've got it in the bag. Pumas just proving way too good at the end. What, what were your thoughts on that game, Steaks? Yeah, exactly that. I mean, poor old Griffins. <laughs> we love the Griffins, okay? We love the Griffins. You know, maybe we should maybe we should give them a bit of support. Come on. But no, I think exactly like you say, they just um, they show little glimmers of hopes in uh, in most of the games, but unfortunately, they just down way too many points to make any real form of a, of a comeback. So. It just is what it is. And then obviously cheetahs 
beating our beloved beloved province rather 26 to 21. Now Cheese has let province back in and Blomikis missed two crucial penalties. So really actually won my opinion that, that the province should have won, but actually just falling a bit short. I think that the the big difference there would be just just the class from the to hold it out. I think the young province team are certainly gonna learn from the experience of of losing and, and hopefully take that into next week. Not sure if you managed to, to see much of that one either, Steaks. Yeah, I, I saw it. It was honestly a really good game. Really good game from from both sides. I mean, the pace on the outside, good running rugby. Like you say, unfortunately, we'll get into the Stormers game and uh, use that as an example as to how important kicking is in rugby games. It is absolutely detrimental to a team if um, if they can't slot those penalties over and, and those... Um, point scoring opportunities just to keep the scoreboard ticking but is what it is it's a good cheetahs team at the moment to have just narrowly lost to and honestly it was a super exciting game now you've you've mentioned the stormers bulls game and i don't quite want to get into the main event just yet but talking of the bulls bulls going down 27 to 41 so bulls 27 sharks 41 on paper, the Bulls team that showed up on Saturday looked the far better team, but the Sharks came out and, and surprised most, and they're the only team to have won away this weekend. It's a bit of a silver lining for, for Sharks fans, given the performance they had against Leinster, and I think that maybe the Bulls will be kicking themselves a little bit. Yeah, 100% that exactly. Uh, it, it honestly didn't start off as a runaway game. It seems like the Bulls were in it a lot of the time. And then Sharks just sort of uh, nudging through a very loose game for the most part, just nudged it through, getting a little bit ahead. And then, yeah, unfortunately, the Bulls sort of trying to come back was was just a bit too far to reach. Disappointing for the Bulls. Um, two games in, in one weekend. Uh Definitely a lot of Bulls supporters again at the Stormers game, which we will get into the main event, but a lot of disappointed Bulls fans uh, for this weekend. Yeah, and I, I mentioned it there. Sharks were putting it politely a little bit more by Leinster away over the weekend. Leinster going on to beat them 35-5. to five. Sharks scoring early through Grant Williams, as he does that wee sniping run around the ruck, maybe gave what us a, a bit of hope. I mean, it was great and it was a great way to start, but it's unfortunate that it just went downhill from there. The thing that struck me, and, and we discussed this a little bit during the week, was the fact that would Leinster go into this fully stacked? And actually, they gave some of their slightly more URC players a, a bit of a run, the likes of Kieran Frawley at 13, yet still overpowered the Sharks so easily. And yes, they were missing big names. I think the three most notable ones being Khaleesi, Etzbeth, and Bosch, but you have to say that Leinster just look a bit ominous. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, that's that's pretty much sort of like what I was saying last week is is sort of having that like half um, squad, you know, have, having the the top guys sort of on the bench just in case shit at the fan, and then the Sharks were up and Leinster needed to pull back a win, and honestly, didn't really need them. You know, like you say, it was a hot start from the Sharks, very exciting try, seemed like there could be something on, but that was all she wrote for the Sharks and. Just one of those things, Leinster showing that that depth, you know, not necessarily putting on their B-string team, but sort of that that in-between team. And yeah, sh- showing that depth and that good performance from a good Leinster team 
very scary going into semifinals. And if Stormers win a potential finals away at Leinster is, is a very serious reality that, that could possibly be happening. And that Leinster team is just on fire. You just hope they sort of put this B string team on if worse, if, you know, we face them in the finals or something, if we get there and maybe we can, we can nudge it past them. Cause I mean, look, yeah, at the end of the day as well, we, we pretty much drew to a, to a really good Leinster team in the, in the group stages as well. So it's, I, I think the, the team, especially going into the conversation that we'll be having now about the Stormers, the team we have at the moment is, is absolutely insane. The lineup for, for Saturday was incredible, but yeah, Leinster really scary at the moment. And I think maybe one thing that might shock fans smiling is the return of a man by the name of John Plumtree. Now, those who aren't familiar, John Plumtree was was the Sharks coach at one point. Left, he's a Kiwi. He's actually coached the All Blacks before, only at assistant coach level. But he's done it. He's been there. He's done. He's done that. I think if if you're talking about a Sharks for next year with the players that they've got on their books, yes, they've lost Khaleesi, but the likes of uh, Makazola Mapimpi, Lukanya, um, I think we could be looking at quite a dangerous team come next year. And you really, really hope as other South African fans, that Plumtree makes a big difference. And, and come next year, you've got more than one South African team in, in the semifinals. We mentioned this last week, and I had Glasgow as winners. And I still firmly believe that they would have won if it weren't for a red card. Now, the red card in terms of the guidelines and what the rule book says was absolutely a red card. Number 10, Tom Jordan. You always think if if it's a center that goes off in, in that situation, at least you've still got an out-and-out out 10 pulling the strings, but Glasgow didn't really have an out-and-out out 10 on the bench. Not sure what your thoughts on, on that was, Steegs, and, and whether or not you managed to, to catch any of that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, yeah, I, I was definitely turning to the to the real rugby critics, <laughs> not the Safford boys, for, for these debates and that. And I mean, even even with the with the top guys, Swiss to Brain and all the guys on the on the panel and that sort of listening them to them debate this topic about these high tackles and these head collisions and red cards, whether you need to, you know, bring in a red card that sort of replaces a player instead of just plain and simply sends him off. I mean, maybe in the group stages it's fine to do that, but it's not okay to do that in a in a one match, one match takes all, like when it takes all sort of thing, you know. It's just unfortunate and you really don't want to see that coming into a World Cup where yes, players can go lower, but at the same time, it's like, you know, having 15 on 13, 15 on 14 is just no ways to be playing um, knockout rugby at the end of the day. You've got 80 minutes to decide who's going to be moving on. And to have a team down a man is just, I, I just don't don't like it. You know, like you say, it's the laws are the laws and it was a red card 100%. But at the end of the day, like all Swissy says, you got to have an even, even playing field. you got to have 15 players on the field and if not, it's got to only be for 10 minutes, something like that. That's that's just my opinion. I agree with you 100%. Glasgow had a very, very strong case of winning that game. Uh, I mean, when you're right, you're right when you call Munster. But <laughs> but honestly, they had a really strong um, case to win that game. And it's just, it's just unfortunate. It loses. Fans lose hope. Players lose hope. I mean, going back into the Super Rugby when Quacker Smith got that early red card when the Lions 
finally had a home home final. I think it was against the Crusaders. I think I can't Crusaders. really remember. Was that was that 20, yeah. 2016, maybe I think it was? No, 2017. Something like that. But 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 it was it was exactly that. And I can only imagine exactly how the Glasgow fans felt, because that's exactly how I felt being a Stormers fan, but more importantly, being a South African rugby fan, looking at the Lions, thinking that they could be the second South African team to win a super rugby, and an early red card just completely destroyed your hope in in it ever happening. Because I mean, knockout rugby, you're playing the top teams. You should not be a man down for almost an entire game playing another top team. It's just, it's plain and simply unfair. Obviously, punch to the face, headbutt into the head, anything like that, get off the field. But something small like that, ah, I don't know. I think Charlie Ewell's discussed this with him. I mean, he got a red card in the first few minutes against Ireland last year in the Six Nations. And he had quite an interesting opinion in terms of the new bunker rule that's going to be implemented where if something breaches the the yellow card threshold that player immediately gets removed for 10 minutes the TMO has then got eight and a half minutes to decide whether or not it gets upgraded to a red you do wonder if amber cards come into it does that then encourage players to just not change their behavior I think it's a really really fine balancing act between penalizing a team so that players act accordingly but also making sure that the game's not ruined. I think I'm more concerned about the World Cup and when those playoffs start happening because there's a red card like that one in the first five minutes of a World Cup final. It's only going to go one way, especially with with top quality outfits. I mean, you never want to see head injuries. And even I can't remember exactly who it was in the Bulls-Stormers game getting that that knockout blow. It's all sort of, Accidental yeah. collision in the air, yeah. I mean, I mean, seeing that just in person, I mean, literally one of my mates, she's from, she's from America was like her first rugby game and her biggest thought was like, why are they not wearing helmets? You know? And I said, Hey, it's what separates the boys from the men. We don't play football yet, buddy. We play rugby on spiel rugby, my bro. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like straight after that conversation, he gets knocked out. And like, I didn't even care about the game. I was just like, shit, he is out. And seeing yeah. it in person, just, it's never good to see, but Hey man, it's never good to see a team lose potentially millions worth of prize money because it was just not a fair contest. Yeah, I think it was an extremely interesting one. And I think that there needs to be something done about it where we we do penalize the player without destroying the game. And it's what that looks like. And I almost think that what we need to do is we need to bring in something like an amber card. And then rather than the player getting a four-week ban, they get a 12-week ban. Because at that point, that really makes players think because that's three months on the sideline. And I mean, the Glasgow boys, they they actually get money for being on the pitch. So a lot of a lot of players get money for being on the pitch, especially if you're playing at the highest level. I think that the English team get £20,000 a game for every game that they play. So if you tell one of those England boys, listen, you put in a high tackle, you're away for three months you miss an entire Six Nations. That's a lot of money. And you wonder if that's that's the best way to go about it. Yeah, 100%. I, th- I, think, that's, I think that's a good way to do it because at the end of the day, you're not losing a player on the, on the day and trying to scramble for replacements and stuff like that, but you're losing a player next week's game. That's that's when you still have that ability to in the week you can bring on another guy onto the bench and all sorted. You can work on your combinations and your pairings and that. 
and it's just so much better. You you're so much better equipped to replace that player moving forward than oh shit, we can't even replace him because he's just been sent off sent off the field. But the game that really was the most surprising is the one that set up and teed up a really lovely home final for the Stormers was the Elster Connacht game. And we can speak about this really briefly. But the one thing I would say is if any Stormers or South African fans think that they're going to have an easy time this week against Connacht, think again, because the grit and the doggedness that those boys showed over the weekend, the likes of Mac Hansen coming in from miles away to put in a try-saving tackle, their destructiveness, because destructiveness is the only word for it at the breakdown, I think Stormers fans need to be careful about setting their hopes up on, on a really big final because I think this is a very different Connet team to the one that came to South Africa at the start of the season. Yeah, 100% that, man. And I mean, at the end of the day, Stormers have grit, but this sort of grit going against us is very scary. You know, I mean, we, we've put on those performances where it's been a bit high scoring. We'll score the tries, they'll score the tries, and we'll sort of grit, grit our way out of it sort of thing. But Having a team like that that's going to put their body on the lines is is scary. It's scary. And to to upset sort of Ulster and great thing, set us up for a home semifinal. But yeah, in no ways in knockout rugby can you get complacent and think any game's an easy game because at the end of the day, if you made it to the semifinals, you're a bloody good team and you just can't, can't over get overexcited or anything and, and claim that we're going to make it to the final already. So I was very careful about my, if we make it to the final, because it is going to be a scary game this weekend, but let's hope the home ground advantage plays its plays its role and the Stormers can perform exactly the way they've performed this last weekend. And Monty Lubbock, who we'll definitely start chatting about very soon, just kicks the way he kicks. Now, I was listening to another podcast. They had Andy Friend, who's the Connor coach on, and he was saying that he's planning on doing a bit of a bike ride with, with John Dobson. Apparently, they actually know each other quite well. I think that would be a really interesting meeting of, of two great rugby minds. And I wish I on the wall for that. But one man who's definitely going to be happy after the, this weekend's performance would be John Dobson. Storm is 33, Bulls 21. I'm trying not to say that with a smile. And I think that Storm has made it. I see that smile. <laughs> <laughs> The Stormers make it six in a row against the Bulls in the last, I think, two or three years. Marnie Lubbock was definitely the man of the moment, but Dion Free, for me, also made a really, really big difference. And you'd hope that that hamstring injury that he came off with, that hamstring niggle he came off with a little bit early on, isn't going to keep him out of this game coming into this weekend, given how good Connett were at the breakdown over, over the weekend past. You were at the game, Steegs. First question I had is... What was the atmosphere like? Biggest crowd for a Stormers game in history. So that that would be my first question. And my second question was, Barney Lubbock, do do we think that he's uh he's played well enough in the last in this last game to make up for for all the the kind of two or three games before that where he looked a bit shaky? Mate, honestly, the the performance, I mean the 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 crowd was absolutely insane. It wasn't even a record for Stormers, it was a record, I think, for the URC other than a grand final for the most supporters at a game, which is absolutely incredible. I mean, I, I try to get there early. I thought I was getting there early. I was by no means there early at all. The traffic was insane in Cape Town. It took us an hour and a half to, to get anywhere close to town where we could just walk the rest of the way because stuff trying to get close to the stadium, it was insane. I mean, we got 
into the stadium 15 minutes late after being there for 20 minutes before kickoff. We were 15 minutes into the game when we actually finally got to our seats because the line was just insane. Which, side notes, DHL Stadium, sort your shit out when it comes to tickets and stuff like that because that took unnecessarily long. They should have been way quicker with that. I mean, half the stadium wasn't even in the in in the stadium for the um for the kickoff. The atmosphere was incredible. the The crowd was unreal, and thank God the boys matched that energy with the performance. And like you say, standout performances from the whole team. Great performance from from Dion Free. But for me, hundred percent, Marnie Libok, and I'm so glad. Because from the beginning of the season, I said, this boy is going to wear the the number 22 jersey and be the second string. Unfortunately, you know what? We, we have our core group and Pollard is that core group. And him playing so well at the moment is incredible because we want to see a well-performing in form Andre Pollard for the Springboks. But Lubbock bringing that, that energy, that pace, that, that running rugby at, at fly-off coming off the bench will be absolutely incredible. Having Damien Willemser there as well as another option, the, the number 10 spot for our World Cup seems like it's bloody good. And as much as he had a, a, had a shaky last two or three games, it just shows the BMT, which is the biggest, biggest factor when it comes to World Cups. Yes, he might have had a last three shaky games or whatever, but what happens when you're in knockout rugby and he slots it over every single kick his running was insane. And for me, he has he has definitely owned waiting for the next two performances. But even that, I mean, top point scorer for how long in the Heineken Cup, he has, he has earned that number two a fly-off jersey for the Springboks, in my personal, humble opinion that no one really gives a shit about. But they're going to get it anyways. <laughs> Listen, our, our five five listeners say, say different. Now, the, the one thing that fascinates me about Monty Lubbock is not only his ability to kick off his left and his right is one thing that just sets him apart from 95% of other players, but you always have players who can do one of th- one or two of three things, but there's very few players that can do three things, it's specifically in, in kind of a playmaker position or a 15 position, which is a run, a kick, and a pass. His ability to, to take it to the line his ability to both kick points and kick out of hand, and then those beautiful over-the-top balls. I mean, you just love to see it in, in the green and gold. Oh, 100%. I mean, even that one to, to I think it was Ruan Null, that, that came through the middle and, and got that kick over from, from Lubbock was, it was just beautiful to watch in person. You know, literally as he kicked it, I was like, I know what's going to happen. And it's, it, he's he's just an amazing player, man, and he's so young. I think he's I think he's pretty much our age as well, which is absolutely incredible to see. As I, I watch the sort of Springboks in camp and that, you know, you sort of have uh, Rassi Erasmus saying that 2019 was a bonus, 2023 was the goal, you know, and it, and it's so inspiring. As much as so many fans are like, oh, you know, have we performed that well and everything? Hey, we're building to the World Cup, man. We are building to that World Cup. We have an extremely experienced great core of players that have actually won a world cup and know what it takes to win a world cup. So you have those leaders on the pitch and then you have the younger guys like Libok coming in and, Oh man, I'm telling you, it is, we love to see a dark horse Springbok team going into a world cup. We can't be favorites and we will never be favorites, 
but that's what makes us the dark horses that go on and win World Cups. Says Keegan, who will be rooting for the Irish from day one. Bullshit, I'm going to be rooting for the Irish. <laughs> get out of here, man. Springboks all the way. Springboks all the way, but if Ireland get past, then I got I to gotta support the Irish roots. Now, one man who we caught up with last week was Charlie Ewells. He obviously plays for the Bulls at the moment. And he's their newest, but maybe the most surprising player. He's provided us with with some really, really helpful insight into both the Bulls camp, the Bulls players. Locke as a position, I think he's he's given us a, a lot of insight into that too. And he's also proved what a nice and genuine guy he is. So although the results didn't go their way over the weekend, here is what he had to say. We're stoked to be joined by England international, multiple under-20 world championship winner, as well as captain, uh, bar star and current Bulls player, Charlie Yules. Charlie, how are you, mate? Um, really well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Good, good. Glad to hear it. Uh, now, your loan spell with the Bulls obviously came as a bit of a surprise. To, however, it came back due to premiership salary cap and, and you not being able to, to play for Bath for the rest of the season. Have you settled into to life at the Bulls and have you noticed any kind of major differences between Bath and, and I suppose, Pretoria? Uh, yeah, settled in really well. The boys here um, couldn't have been better, to be honest. Like they, um, they didn't really need to accept me the way that they have, but they couldn't have welcomed me anymore. Uh, they couldn't have really held my hand and helped me with stuff anymore. And then, yeah, there's a fair few differences between Pretoria and Bath. So I'm still, uh, the weather and the altitude being the main two that sort of hit me hard on day one. But no, I'm genuinely loving my time here. So it's a, it's a special place. I've grown up watching big test matches at Loftus. So to run out and play there is cool. And then just to like the guys in the squad, as I said, have been amazing. And some of the names in that squad are guys that, again, I grew up watching and now I get to run around and train with them and play with them. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. I read that one of the players you admire the most just so happens to be a Bulls legend. Not only the Bulls, but Victor Matfield was also a Springbok legend. What is it that you admire about him the most? And have you had the opportunity now or in the past to have a chat with him and sort of pick his brain a little bit? So yeah, I, the things I admire about him are, I think he was one of the players that changed the position. He brought a level of athleticism to second row that probably hadn't been seen much before. Um, and then his expertise around the line out and again, what he did in the line out and, and the way that he ran that again was something that sort of I grew up watching and trying to learn from. And then I hadn't actually met him until so obviously Johan van Graan is our head coach at Bath and he coached Victor at the Bulls and at the Springboks so he brought him in for a week earlier this season with Bath so he just came in to look at how we do stuff and offer some feedback and he ran a couple of sessions for the guys and I stayed behind one of the sessions and we just spoke and I had all the questions that I wanted to ask him and all the detail I sort of wanted to dig into but he was a yeah he was a great guy and then actually to it's one thing watching someone and watching their games and you know talking to people that have played with them because again obviously he spent a bit of time at Northampton Saints towards the end of his career so I got to play against him once in in that game with the Bath and then talking to the guys at England who played with him at Northampton again asking oh well how did he what did he do what was different what did you like what didn't you like but then actually to sit and chat with him about those things was um, was cool and a, yeah, a massive experience for me and so I just took loads from that. Wow, that's uh, are there any like sort of uh, takeaways that come to mind that sort of really, really stuck with you after having that conversation? There's some stuff without without being too nosy, but there's some stuff like okay. around his footwork and how he jumped. So he was just his thing was just speed. 
Um, and the advantage that he had was he was he was obviously tall, but then he was light and he was super quick. So he used to just take people on athletically. And then the second that you put yourself either in front of him or behind him, he would just go the other way and then you were never going to recover. So yeah, him as, as an athlete on his own and then actually just some of his thinking around how he would manipulate space. And the, but we did have one funny discussion around, he would obviously, he would talk about using the, the whole of the line out. And then I, I had to remind him that he was used to playing his career in the weather that I'm experiencing at the moment where the, there's no wind, the ball's always dry and the sun's always shining. And I say after spending a week in Bath, it was nice. No, it's often wet, wet and it's windy and wet. So things do look slightly different, which he accepted was yeah, a challenge that he probably hadn't had to face much because even at test rugby, when you're playing, and I find this when you play test rugby, that it might be uh, windy and wet, but you're protected by these enormous stadiums from the wind. You've always got a brand new ball that's completely bone dry. So actually, okay, there's a bit of rain, but it doesn't affect it much. So actually your ability to win the ball across the length of the line out is affected so much less than when you get a wet ball in an open stand and it's 40 mile an hour wind blowing sideways and it's all a bit different. Keegan will tell you, we love a bit of scrum and line out nosery on, on the podcast. Maybe Keegan slightly less. So you touched on something really nicely there that, that I was going to ask is, so Paul Willemser, who currently plays for France, mentioned that the tight head lock has almost become like the only lock in 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 rugby at the moment. And, and your loose head lock is is slightly more athletic and maybe gets around the park a little bit more like a, a loose forward does. Do you think there's any truth in that? No, I think so. A big thing I've noticed here is people ask me a lot, like, oh, do you play four or five? And back home, it's like, oh, I play second row. And some weeks yeah. I've got four on my back, some weeks I've got five on my back. It doesn't. We don't sort of see it as a thing back then, but here it's very prescribed roles in terms of the, the, the four is the tight head lock and he stands here in the line outs and he stands here at kickoffs and he's expected to do more of these things. And then the five is the guy that traditionally that's your Victor Matfield, then more athletic guy that's going to run the line out. So I think here it probably is, here it's probably still a thing. But then even now, if you look at the Springbok side, but, but the guys, weight-wise and athleticism-wise, is becoming closer and closer. Gone of the days are, the the four is 128 kilos and the five is 110 kilos and they're completely different athletes and they just both happen to be tall i think more and more we're seeing that merging of like and probably again some like another guy that i or lock pairing that i admire that white lock retallic kind of those guys the way that they've played the game they're both very similar athletically both can do everything basically and as you said yeah gone are the days of I think now the second rows are probably considered closer to the back row than they are to the front row in terms of like what they're expected to do around the park and how athletic they're expected to be for me I think there's a lot of chat especially in the media at the moment about kind of your partnerships and, and a lot of that's your centre partnerships and your, your lock partnerships Victor Matfield that you mentioned they obviously partnered with with Bucky's Berta you also had the likes of Martin Johnson and Ben Kay who, who played for, for England as a partnership in your mind, is there a partnership that stands out? I think the, oh, yeah, it's a good question. But I haven't thought about it too much. I think, so in terms of like statistically, it's one thing, just longevity in international rugby means that you're at the top of your game for a long period of time. And the, the locks that have played the most tests together are Sam Whitelock and Brody Vitalik. So those guys have been around for such a long time in such a fiercely com competitive position in probably the most competitive team in the world and they've stayed there and kept doing it so the, the way that those guys have done it but then I think probably the one that 
The one that springs to mind in terms of the classic four and five lock would be the Backies and Victor combination. And again, like I say, the, I'm learning more down here. Like there is a subtle different way of playing. And again, like I say, that what's expected of a Northern Hemisphere lock and a South African lock are slightly different. I'm um, in terms of, like I say, the the roles are probably less prescribed back home. So I've played in England teams where Courtney Laws has played at six, and actually he's taken some of the the lock roles, if you like because of the, the skills that he has and how athletic he is and his height. And then that's meant that one of the locks has then had to take a back row role, say. But actually just those things are just, well, let's just put the best people or the, like let's use the skills that we have and put the best people doing the best things and getting the best out of them. Definitely as a sports fan, I, I always root for a sort of underdog story, a triumph as well. Anyone, okay, I'm a bit biased. I, I do want the Springboks on top at all times, but I do love an underdog story. And I think obviously the 2016 and 2017 Springboks was a terrible time for South African fans due to dismal performances, but the 2015 World Cup was obviously a very disappointing year for England. And you obviously made your debut at the end of 2016. But what was the atmosphere and intensity of the English team like in 2016 when you joined, which was the year England turned it around after being eliminated in the group stages of their own World Cup to completing the Grand Slam to go on and win the Six Nation in very convincing fashion? I guess I had nothing to compare it to. And I think the thing that was obviously hugely different was that it was a new coach. So Eddie had come in post-World Cup and he hadn't been there before. And I say, I didn't have, I had no experience of international rugby. I barely had much rugby experience at that point as well. I was 21 years old. So everything was new to me. Everything was learning. Everything was exciting and challenging. And it was, you know, I played at the club and I had the same coaching staff at the club up until that point. So again, I've been coached very much one way and been in one environment and then suddenly I go into this super intense trainings through the roof every day as a test match environment and yeah I loved it I was like oh this is what this is what it's all about this is what test rugby is all about and then as I say like I wasn't I wasn't playing much at the start there but I was very much involved in in training squads and stuff around when they went on the um, however many game unbeaten run it was so I got to see how they were preparing and what what the weeks looked like. And again, the main thing that stood out to me was just that huge step up in intensity and just that attention to detail, but around the most basic things around how you carry the ball, how you present the ball, what your breakdown looks like. That was 90% of the training week wasn't smart plays and moves and clever things like this. It was just hammering the basics time and time again every day of the week. On the back of that 2016 year, obviously the, the big difference was the appointment of a world-class coach in the likes of it and Eddie Jones. And that's not to say the 2015 coaching staff weren't world-class because if you go on to look at them now, the likes of Farrell who, who coaches Ireland, etc., you can't tell me he's a bad coach. The main question that I had around Eddie was there's, there's a lot of Eddie stories. We, we've heard one in the last few weeks about him bringing a castle prod to, to training. What are your thoughts on Eddie, A, as a coach, but B, as a person? And do you have a, a story or an interaction with him that really stands up? As a coach, his he's a relentless pursuit of greatness essentially it's every day is the opportunity to push and see how far you can take a rugby team and, and change the game and push things on and push things forward so his standards are exceptionally high unfortunately i don't have a story of like the the bag of sweets or the guinness or whatever it is all the stuff that you hear or the castle prod there was nothing like that with me but he was always just he was always on me and i appreciated that in terms of he like I knew that 
we wanted the same thing. We wanted me to to realize my potential and and become the best player that I could become. And then, yeah, the way that he was was with me, the way to do that was just to be on me, on me, on me, train, train every day. Like how hard can you train? How far can you push this? What's your attention to detail look like? All of those things. So for some guys that, and, and he was smart as well because he would work out that that's what I needed. That's my, like my personality in me. I need that. I, I lap that up. That I've, I've got quite a high work capacity, if you like. I can. I want to do more. I want to be pushed and challenged. Other guys that are much more naturally talented than I'll ever be, they maybe just need a bit more of the arm round treatment because for them it's more about just being in that more relaxed state is what helps them get the best out of themselves. And that's where he was. That's where he was clever, and everyone got a slightly different treatment because it was the thing that was the best for them. But ultimately, pushing towards every single player realizing their potential and therefore the team pushing on and maxing out. So yeah, you hear the. You hear the funny stories, but like I say, he's a, he's always thinking. Be, there's always a reason. There's always it's never just um, it's never just for the funny story. He's trying to make a point to that player, or he thinks that that's going to help get the best out of that player, which ultimately helps the team. I think he sounds like he's he's got a different approach to to everybody that he encounters, and some people need their 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 tummy tickled, and and other people need something else that, that I won't say on the podcast because we'll have to disclaim that to Spotify as being R-rated. He sounds like a very interesting man. Do you, do you think that if there's any coach that could take Australia to the World Cup and, and have them perform well, it would be him? I think, yeah. So, well, history tells us that World Cups are his thing. And again, having been part of his squads, I can tell you from like the day he arrived in 2016, it was talking about 2019. Not not to say that the here and now wasn't important. Obviously, that was it was always about, but there was always a bigger goal and a bigger vision. And as he would say about becoming the best team in the world and the number one team in the world is traditionally the team that then goes on to win the World Cup. So he would have, obviously, he's on a much shorter time frame now with this Australia side, but he'll have, I can almost guarantee that day one meeting one would have been about the World Cup and, put, and how they're going to push and what it's going to look like. And then, He'll just let's say he'll just be striving to get the best out of those players and maximise what it is that they've got. So yeah, I've got. I mean, they're always a very very good side, but with it like yeah, with the the eddy edge, if you like, he'll simplify the game plan. They'll play pressure rugby because he understands what it takes to win in Test rugby, and they'll be extremely difficult to beat. The reason that you obviously came over to, to South Africa was to get some game time and put yourself into contention for for that World Cup. Has Steve Borthwick been in touch? And, and if so, has he has he said anything to you? Has, has there been any chat? Obviously, I got injured with England. So I've been in touch with the physios there throughout my rehab to let them know how I'm getting on, how it's going and stuff. And then obviously then the, the progression of that was when I came back to playing, it was to stay in, in contact with the coaches and just, you know, see how I'm going. So, yeah, we've, we've been in touch. We've spoken a little bit. He sent me some, some work-ons around my first couple of games. So that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Like I'm, I'm coming back from quite a long injury. I've not played rugby for a long time. So game one, sort of the, the goal, if you like, was just get through the game. And I, I did that. And then then the like sort of the other part of me kicked in and I wasn't happy with how I played and this and that and moments. And then it was about actually giving myself a little bit of space to say, yeah, but you've not done it for, for nine months. So yeah, it's been it's been nice. I've got things that I want to work on and keep improving, and he's given me um, he's given me some tips and pointers around that. So yeah, it's been it's been really good. But on the flip of that as well, Bath have been watching my games, and Neil Hatley is still sending me help and some clips and stuff because ultimately, I say 
the World Cup, I'd be lying if I said the World Cup wasn't wasn't the dream goal at the end of all of this. But right now, those things are a really, really long way away. And actually, I just am loving my time here so much. And I'm so focused on, on week to week. And if I've learned anything from my career, it's if you focus on the here and now and just go, go as hard as you can and, and give your best there, then the other stuff tends to look after itself when you get too dragged and focused on on those things and actually you forget what's going to get you there is this your first time um in south africa or have you visited south africa before so i've been here twice on under 18s tours back in the day we were very lucky we used to come here and play sa schools and then we played wales and france i think as well It'd be like a bit of a mini tournament under 18 so i've been here twice with that then i came back in 2017 with the saxons in what i think was the last Saxons thing since, which was an amazing tour. Was it 2017? No, 2016. It was 2016. So it was when England, when Eddie just taken over, England's first team, if you like, went to Australia and the Saxons came here and played a two-game series against the SAA side. So that was awesome. That was really cool. We actually went back when we went to Durban and we stayed in the Beverly Hills Hotel in Umschlange, which is where we stayed. So all the memories came flooding back from from that trip. Uh, and then I was actually here in, and I didn't know that I was going to be back now, but I was actually here in January for my honeymoon. So I got married in August just after surgery. And then we did our, we did a couple of weeks in, in and around Cape Town and Stellenbosch and Franschhoek and all around there for honeymoons. So as I say, yeah, at that time, I didn't know that I'd be, like, I, at that point, I didn't know where I was going to play rugby or what, but then, yeah, next minute I'm, I'm here and I'm back and now I'm playing rugby again. So yeah, I've got a fair few South African stamps in the passport recently. Oh, that's that's fantastic to hear. Yeah, I've just been, I mean, just being from Cape Town, you always meet so many uh, foreigners, especially people from England and America and everything like that. It just seems like everyone enjoys it. So I'm sure the missus wasn't too upset when you told her, oh, you know, I have to go to South Africa to go and play. You might have to come with me. <laughs> yeah, so she, she came out for the first couple of weeks and then oh, we just, yeah, we love it here. Just the... Uh, the food and the wine and everything like it's so the hospitality is amazing the people are so friendly so the weather's unbelievable so yeah there's um there's not a lot to complain about so no yeah she what she didn't complain she's had to go back now but hoping to try and get her back out towards uh towards the end of my time here but i think this is the the probably probably the very serious question as a as opposed to the south african versus england braai or barbecue braai is a they're different things, I think, because a, a braai isn't just about the food and the fire. The braai is like, the, it's the whole thing. It's the light the fire, sit around, have a drink, talk, and then at some point eat some food. Whereas back home, a barbecue is just a way of cooking food. So I would never say to, I would, or rarely would you say back home to someone, oh, do you want to come over for a barbecue? You'd say, oh, do you want to come over some food? We were thinking of doing a barbecue. Whereas here, obviously the invite is, do you want to come for a braai? And I'm actually the guys again. I'm back to that South African hospitality. The guys tomorrow are going to take me down to the shooting range, and we're going to have a bride down there. So they they've said they're going to take me for a proper Pretoria day off because they were horrified <laughs> to learn that I was just sat in the hotel doing recovery and watching training back. And they thought they yeah they, that's that's not okay. So yeah, I'm going to experience uh, I'm going to experience that tomorrow, which will be which I'm really looking forward to. Happy yeah, the boys are looking after you and making sure you get out there and just yeah, have the full South African experience. Yeah, they yeah, they are. They were horrified to find out I hadn't shot a gun before as well. So they said that that needed to change. So I say we're off down to the shooting range tomorrow. <laughs> Charlie, you you mentioned or you touched on there in terms of your, your injury and, and your recovery period. 
it's obviously been a a long time post that England game for for you coming back because you're you're in, injured during during England camp. What was it like recovering through injury? I know a lot of players go through some really really dark times with with, with injury. One of your ex teammates, Anthony Watson, had mentioned that he he quite liked recovering away from from rugby and and recovering in his own time and and trying to do things. Was that very much your mindset? So maybe I'm maybe I'm a bit of a weirdo, but I actually I've had the best nine months of my life this last nine months and that doesn't mean that that's not because I've been out drinking and partying or doing anything like that like I, I took my rehab extremely seriously but it was I just saw it as a, a brilliant challenge and in that time I got injured I had surgery four weeks later I got married which was obviously amazing then after that then I had shoulder surgery which I've needed for a while so I got that sorted and then we went away on a trip uh, we went down to Devon for a week and I trained with a guy down there that was amazing. Then we came here for two weeks in January on honeymoon, which was just incredible. And then I had the opportunity to go out to America and train with a guy called Bill Knowles, who's a like a rehab knee specialist. So I learned so much out there. And then, yeah, the team that we've got at Bath, the rehab team. So Rory Murray's our head of medical and Mitch Smith is who was the SNC that I worked with through the, through the process. Like those guys are unbelievably good at their job and they just make it, yeah, it doesn't it say when when you're surrounded by good people like that who push you and drive you and just see it for what it is, it's the challenge that it is, suddenly it doesn't become a horrible dark place to be. Of course there's times and the, the, the biggest one for me, the biggest probably the lowest point of my rehab, if, if I can call it that, would be the first time I watched Bath play in person. So we played sale at home at the rec in round two of the premiership and obviously I'd watched them Brist- I watched them play Bristol the week before and just miss out and we played sail at home and we played really poorly and I just looked at these like all the all my mates basically playing and it was like oh I'm I'm not going to be a part of that for a for a long time and that was probably that sort of just hit me a bit harder and again I, I was prepared for that and up until then it had been pre-season and all that so I hadn't really missed out on much and then the away game on TV felt still felt away quite a long way away and then it was actually yeah, being sat at the wreck watching the guys just and then having that sort of realization that like yeah I'm not going to be a part of that for a long time but again there were so many other amazing things that I was able to do because of my injury and some of the opportunities and experiences and then like and then the cherry on top if you like to top it all off is now I'm here at an amazing club experiencing a completely different culture a completely different way of being coached playing there's, I think there's there's like 92 staff here, including all the players, all the coaches, all the doctors, medical, admin, SSC, blah, 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 everything. And I'm the only person that's not South African. And back home at Bath, we've got South Africans, Englishmen, Welshmen, Scots, Argentinians, Fijians, Samoans, Tongans, French. Well, we've got, yeah, the Northern Hemisphere clubs are this complete mash of cultures. You've got people from all over the world and we've got a South African head coach, a South African defence coach. We've literally just today appointed an English attack coach we've got yeah we've got these people from all around the world and all they say all these different blends and mix of cultures and then you come here and it's oh everyone's from South Africa everyone has straight away has that in common so that feeling of like the connected feeling and the family feeling that they have here is amazing and as I said then to accept me as the the lanky Englishman and let let me come in and be part of that is to say I'm I'm extremely grateful for that. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that um, that whole story about exactly, as you said, sort of the the silver lining in it coming to uh, the Bulls and having this experience here, yeah, I definitely agree with you in the sense that it's something I always say to people is like, you just never know where your path is going to lead, like situations that happen, one, one door closes, another door opens. So whoever's listening out there, the main thing is momentum, just keep moving and, and going forward and you never know what paths come your way. 100%. And, and it's like, I've all like I've always had this like curiosity around playing Southern Hemisphere rugby, but on the flip of that, I've never wanted to leave Bath. Bath is the club I came through the academy. I've been there like it's a really special place to me. I love all the people that work there. So there's I'm I just stuck in this horrible thing where it's like, well, I want these two things, but it's like, I've never wanted it bad enough to say goodbye to Bath. And then there's a really weird conversation to have with a coach when. I want to play for the team. He would like me to play for the team. I'm not allowed to play for the team. And then he's happy for me to be leaving. And then I'm happy, also happy to be leaving. Like it's quite a, normally if someone moves on from a club, it's either the, the player or the coach says thanks, but no thanks. And yeah, you can do it in a civil way and shake hands and move on. But there's, yeah, one of you's had to make that decision, but we're in such a weird situation where it, everyone, it's to say everyone's kind of happy with the outcome, but it's, yeah, it's, but I'm at, at the same time, I've still got to go and experience that different club. So, yeah, it's one of the, like I say, I'm, yeah, I'm very, I keep pinching myself that I'm here, to be honest. And just, yeah, I'm just thinking, well, I'm going to love every second of it and lap it up because it might never happen again. Well, you've, you've touched on it there, being, being a bit of a one club man. I think that's, it's almost a bit of a rarity in, in modern day rugby. A lot of players kind of move, move about a little bit, and, and your passion for, for Bath is quite clear to see. You do return to Bath at the end of the season, much to probably many a Bulls fans this May. And you'll no doubt be forward to, to running onto the pitch with, with the boys when that time comes. You, you've mentioned the, the multicultural nature of Northern Hemisphere rugby there too. One of the men that's obviously joined is Jan van Kron and one of the, the kind of standout signings for next year is going to be Finn Russell. How are you looking forward to, to playing with somebody like Finn at, at 10? Because you've no doubt come up against him before. Yeah, obviously, yeah, he's world class. So, of course, I'm looking forward to playing. I've played against him a couple of times, a few times maybe. And obviously, the the preview that week before you're playing any Finn Russell team, whether that be Scotland or club, is he can do this, he can do that, he can kick this, he'll do this, he'll throw this pass, he can do... So, he's got he's got all the tricks. His game is, is rounded in terms of... like from an attacking sense, he generally can do it all. So yeah, absolutely. He'll he'll change the way that we play and that's what he's been brought in to do. Um to bring that say to bring his world class experience and bring that edge that he has and bring that to our team. So yeah, I um yeah I am I, but I say that's potentially still quite a long way away, you know what I mean? Like this seat next season with it being a World Cup and then the extended preseason and stuff. So yeah, that's um that's something to look forward to on the horizon. But no, yeah, very excited to play with him. But then also as well, we've signed Thomas DeToy as well. So we've got another prop. Like we've obviously got brilliant props already, big powerful boys, and then we've got another big powerful boy on the way over from South Africa. So I was watching watching the Sharks game the other day and just sort of yeah, watching him play and I say he's obviously a powerful scrummager, but he can move as well for the size of him. He can move and get around the park. So no, there's some, um, yeah, there's some really exciting people coming into the organisation, both players and coaches. Now on, on that, you've obviously played with some fantastic 10s already. One of the 10s that maybe stands out in most people's minds is, is Owen Farrell. You seem quite dedicated in terms of your, your approach to recovery, your approach to game day, your, your analytics when it comes to opposition and potentially opposition players. 
Owen Farrell seems quite intense on the field. He wears his heart on, on his sleeve. Is he as motivated off the pitch as he is on it? Or does he relax a little bit? No, yeah, he, yeah, he relaxes. I think no one can be the the skill of it and what makes him as, as good as he is is that he, he has the ability to flick that switch. No one can be super intense, live every day of their life. Mr. Intense in everything that they do. So you've got, but the say what makes world class players world class is that they can every day when they train and when they play and whatever they can flick that switch and they can become that person. Uh, and that looks different for different people. Obviously, as you said with him, like he is an intense character on the pitch, but everyone knows that and everyone respects that and respects him. Other guys, that's you know when it's game time, maybe they're a bit quieter or whatever. But it's say it's that ability to flick that switch, and then on the flip of that, you've got to then rest and recover and when I say that I don't just mean doing saunas and ice baths but I mean mentally rest and recover and different people find different ways of, of doing that like he's he is he's quite he's obviously quieter off the pitch than he is on the pitch he's a he's a family man he's got young children so he spends time with them obviously the time that I spend with him and I experience with him when you're in camp so he can't go and see his children but yeah he's a he's yeah, he's just a normal bloke, let's say. But that's what makes him then good because he can be that normal bloke and then he can flip that switch and he can train and drive standards and demand what he does when he's on the pitch. I think that's really interesting to hear because we, we obviously, as everyday people, only get to see one one side of things. I think a lot of people forget that. As much as game day is game day, that's where you see the result. There's all those days leading up to game day where you guys have done your prep, you've done loads of, of training, um, and and a lot goes into to that week. It's not just the, the 80 minutes that, that we get to see. A, a question that I think you'll have a special perspective on is, you were sent off in the 2022 Six Nations against Ireland for an accidental head collision. At least in my mind, it looked accidental. It was no way intentional. Do you think the idea of a 20-minute red card or an amber card to be introduced where the player can be replaced is a good idea in those instances where there is no intentional foul play? I think, so obviously, yeah, mine, mine was a red and then they sort of spoke after that. And for that more the more accidental and not highly reckless stuff, which is what mine ended up being categorised as, those things have then since sort of been brought down to a yellow. What I I think the better idea is the one that the or they seem to be talking about going with, as opposed to that sort of amber card or that twenty minute red card. It's the um, you get yellow, so they look at the screen, they look at the tackle. I hit the guy here, but I got head on head contact. Okay, boom, yeah, yellow card. So I get yellow card, and then I go on review almost rugby league style. And in the 10 minutes that it obviously would take for the sin bin to run, the TMO can then break it down and watch it as many times as he wants without the crowd booing and cheering and without the referee with at Twickenham with 82,000 people on one person who's trying to make a decision and he's, he's human and he makes mistakes and gets stuff right and wrong. And he's got all these pressures and all these decisions. Actually, someone can take 10 minutes in a room away from a stadium and look at it factually if you like and then it will either be upgraded to a red and you'll remain off the pitch or it will remain as a yellow card so then from a fan's point of view because yeah, I, I watch a lot of rugby as well and it can be frustrating sometimes when I sometimes think to the ref say the referees are under so much pressure anyway and now they've got to make this enormous game-changing decision with everybody watching everyone can hear what they're saying and they've got to make it as quick as possible because they're also worried that they want to ref a good spectacle and keep the game moving so I think that I say I think the best of both worlds is that. So be really, really clear on what's a yellow card and what's a red card. Because ultimately, the idea of this, like 
brain health is so important. None of us want to be getting hit in the head all the time. So I'm com- I completely agree. And then we want to see, we want to see all foul play taken out of the game. And we want to see that highly reckless stuff taken out of the game. But whilst also accepting that we do play a bit of a stupid game and there is, we play a contact sport and there is going to be. So actually finding that really clearly defining what's a red card, what's a yellow card, and yeah. then allowing someone with a bit of time and a bit less pressure to make that decision. I think that's the, the best of both worlds in a quite long-winded answer to your question. Thanks so much for your time today, Charlie. You've, you've been a great guest. and Your, your insight's been great, whether it be line-out time or, or fellow players or your own journey. We want to wish you the best for, for the rest of the year and, and hopefully not the best when you come up against the box. But we'll, we'll certainly be cheering you on from the sidelines. I'm, I'm doing all I can for this Anglo-Springbok relations. I'm trying to show the guys here that we're not all bad people. <laughs> we're, actually, we're, we're actually okay. Steve's Charlie Alls, what a nice guy. His rugby IQ is, is clear to see from that interview. What, what were your thoughts? hundred percent. Extremely well-spoken. Such an absolute gentleman as well. To be honest... I don't know if he's going to be listening in on the episode. Maybe he will, but I'm, I've always been a typical South African hating on the English, but after chatting to, to Charlie, it was flipping. Ah, it was insane. He's he's definitely softening me up when it comes to playing the, the red roses in the world cup and that, you know, potentially. So we'll have to keep that in mind, obviously moving forward. Now he's made that very interesting for me, but honestly, what a legend. And yeah, we really appreciate his time and we really hope you guys enjoyed that interview. Now my, my partner is Scottish and she, I text her immediately after the interview to be like, Charlie Ewell's interview went really, really well. And if there's, there's one nation that during sporting rivalries hate the English, it's the Scots. And she wasn't too pleased with me. Now, getting into this weekend's fixtures, Curry Cup, usual quick fire steaks, Griffins and Province. Griffins. <laughs> <laughs> Province. If Griffins beat Province this weekend, you're going to have to eat it next week. Oh, then I'm right. Then I'm joking. <laughs> Puma Sharks. Uh, Pumas. Cheetahs Lions. Cheetahs. Cheetahs on fire at the moment i love i love to see a well-performing cheetahs team grick was bulls oh that's a tough one isn't that that's a tough one man the the way grick was played i would not be surprised if they notched a win over the bulls but But at the same time two losses in a row and also urc players filtering back into Ah, the the, the squad no, I think I think Bulls come back, man. Two two losses in one weekend, two losses in a row for the Curry Cup side. I think Bulls come back. Now getting into the the big games for the weekend, the the semi-finals. Let's kick it off with with Leinster Munster. Now, before we even get into that, I know you're gonna want to say Munster. I just I don't know why, but I, I feel like you are. What I'd keep in mind is Munster will be without RG Sneeman, yeah. Malachi Fakatoa. Probably Peter Romani and also potentially Connor Murray. If you're looking at a starting 15, that's four names and four big names straight off the list. I just can't see them doing it. No, even look at even if those four big names were on the list, I would honestly still go for Leinster. I mean, everything in me is hoping Storm is not your win and Munster can pull off an upset for a home final, but I just don't see it. Leinster are just so good. They're just so bloody good. But uh, yeah, for me, Leinster takes it, man. I would have to agree. And I think they'll go fully loaded into that game too. So could be quite a scary sight, especially given the the Munster-Leinster rivalry 
historically. The big one for South African fans this weekend is always going to be the Stormers v. Connick game at DHL Stadium. Main thoughts of this one from my side, the breakdown. I think Connick proved last week that breakdown-wise, if you give them a centimeter, they're going to take an inch. I really hope we have Dion Free because without Dion Free, we're less clinical when it comes to breakdowns and and, and the way we approach those. Evan Russ actually showed glimmers of being quite good at the breakdown when when Dion Free went off, but Dion Free is an out-and-out fetcher and we've not got somebody who can replace him. So I think that the breakdown and then also place kicking will will probably be the the big difference. Yeah, 100%, man. I mean, exactly like you say, it it is a scary semifinal, man. This is crunch time. You know, I mean, I was I was nervous as is in the the Bulls versus Stormers game, but getting closer to that final semifinals now, it's a nervy time. It's a nervy time. I've just honestly, like, not even just the bias thing. I am gonna say Stormers are gonna notch it through. Just thank God we were able to secure a home semifinal. I think that's gonna play a big a big difference. And then I think a final against Leinster. Hopefully, if it does come true is going to be, a, a, oh my gosh, I'm nervous this week. Next week, if we're facing Leinster, or when, when the final is, when we face Leinster away, if we do, is, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to take time off of work, mate. But I'm nervous for this weekend, but I think I think the with the team that we have at Stormers, um, obviously it will be clinical to, to have... Um, Dion Free on board there, but I, I think I think the Stormers have good depth. We've got a great team at the moment, and this last week's performance was absolutely incre- incredible from all players all around. So I think we do have just enough to to definitely notch over, well not definitely, but to notch over Connor. Yeah, let's not let's not get too big headed too too quickly. Uh, special mention to. Our recent guest, SP Murray, who is also playing a semi-final this weekend, along with Andre Pollard and Jasper Visa of Leicester Tigers, who are taking on the Sale Sharks, who feature the likes of the Dupree boys. So that should be a really, really interesting one for South African fans from afar. To show us how those boys are going, and also to see whether or not Pollard still got it when it comes to big-time finals. That's all for this week. Steaks, I hope to be seeing you next weekend or next week rather when the the boys have hopefully won. And if they have, I think uh, it's time for somebody to get a haircut. 100%. You know the deal. You know the deal. <laughs> I'll definitely be going to the Leinster v Stormers final if that's the way that ends up happening. Maybe we can convince Steaks to, to come over to and and I can shave it into his head in person, but we'll see whether or not that happens. Hope you enjoyed the the episode this week. Give us a shout on the socials, leave us a review, and we will catch up with you next week. <laughs>